Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. How are you this morning, New Life Downtown? Good, excellent. Hey, my name is Jason. If you are new or newer or you're visiting today, maybe this is your first time, we welcome you today. We're so delighted that you're here. Uh, we would love to get a chance to meet you. If you would take a moment and pull out your phone and use this uh, QR code here, scan it, fill out a guest card, or maybe after, after the service, stop at the Welcome Center, uh, meet some of our team. We have a gift for you. We'd love just to meet you, to answer any questions that you have, uh, and to, to welcome you into this time. Uh, New Life Downtown is one of the eight congregations of New Life Church here in the city. We are united in our mission to make disciples across the whole Pikes Peak region. We are a non-denominational charismatic church that's deeply rooted in the historic practices of the church. And so you're gonna find every single week that we are going to sing our hearts out and we're gonna come to the table. We're going to celebrate uh, Eucharist together. I was thinking today as we were coming into the service about that moment where Jesus says, uh, in one of his teachings, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are burdened. Come to me, all of you who are overwhelmed. Come to me, all of you who are confused. Come to me, all of you who have hurt and pain and frustration. Come to me, all of you who are experiencing stress or doubt or fatigue. Come to me, everyone with all of your stuff, with whatever it is that you're carrying. And then he says, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you everything that you need, the, the deep longings and desires of your heart. I can meet them. I can give you what you truly need. And so this morning we come into worship with all of our stuff, but we come to the one that we trust can give us rest. We come to the one that we trust can meet us in the valley, it can meet us in the mountaintop, it can meet us everywhere in between, can meet us in life's joys and in life's sorrows. We come to the one who first came to us. He comes to us and he says, come to me. But he's the one who makes the first step. He's the one who makes the first move. He's the one who takes all of the initiative and then we respond. So let's stand and worship today and let's worship the one who says, come to me, everyone, and I will give you rest. Let's sing a new song to the Lord. Have your glory be honored in this place. Have this confidence in Jesus. His blood has brought us into freedom. There is no other that can save us. Cause we know, yes, we know it's Jesus. He is always with us, faithful and true. So faithful to me, 
Perfect and spotless one 
never sin, but suffered as if he did. Let it rise now. All authority, everything so Take a minute, take a breath. Let's just open up our hands. Let's just make room for the Lord today. Make room for the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to today in this week, this past week, who have said, I just feel overwhelmed. I feel like the walls are closing in. I've talked to so many people. And it reminds me of this picture in Psalm 69 where it says, Save me, O oh God. Save me, for the waters have come up to my neck. That picture of the waters coming up to our neck. We're just so close to drowning. So close to going under. But there's a beautiful moment in the scriptures here. Before the psalmist 
ever sees delivery, ever sees salvation, he says this in verse 30. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Later in 32, it says, let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, I love this, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own that are in bonds. Think about those two lines we just read. Let your hearts revive. Lord, that's our prayer today. For all those who are walking in feeling like they're going under, like the water's up to their neck, let our hearts revive with a confident hope in your promise. And what is this promise? His promise is right here in verse 33. It says, the Lord hears the needy. The Lord hears those who are oppressed, who are hurting, who are overwhelmed. So today, maybe you're walking in, you feel overwhelmed, like the walls are closing in. You're the needy one. I wanna encourage you before you see deliverance, before you see salvation in whatever circumstance you're in, lift up a song to the Lord today in confident hope and say, Lord, let my heart revive. Even yet, I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we're gonna sing this bridge together. I wanna invite you just to take one step forward in boldness today because we worship the God who went completely under the water, right? Completely into the grave, completely into death, and still he overcame. For everyone who is overwhelmed, there's a savior that overcame. And we're here today to bless his name, to put our trust in him. So can we sing this out with full faith, full confidence, full hope today. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Let's sing. our voice and say we will we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony everyone overcome let your hearts revive and say we will overcome by the blood of the lamb
will. God Almighty reign. Hallelujah. 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 For the Lord God Almighty
back into that song in just a second, but this is a strange word to sing, isn't it? Holy. It's a word that we don't use all of the time. And if we do use it, sometimes we use it in a pretty negative way, right? Oh, you're just holier than thou. We use it in a way of sort of like, oh, that, that this is an experience that we have with someone who just seems to be filled with a lot of pride, who seems to be off-putting, who doesn't seem to be able to relate to who we are and what we're going through and who's coming at us with all judgments. And then when we sing about the holiness of God, we're singing about something completely different than that. When we say holy, we're talking about the one who is utterly different than us and the one who's entirely perfect. There is no need in God. He's whole, he's holy, he's complete, he's perfect in every way. And what that matters, why that matters to us is that means that when God is coming after us in love, he's not doing it to meet a need. He's not doing it because he's got some sort of gaping hole inside. He's like, I just need you to fill this. Could you please meet all of my needs? Could you please help me feel better about myself? No. We're seeing with a God who's holy and perfect and complete and who in his holiness is perfect and complete in his love for you. 
and all of your unholiness and all of your incompleteness and all of your need and all of your lack and all of my need and all of my lack and all of my unholiness. God is the Holy One who comes and says, you know what, I'm not like you. (laughs) And I love you. (laughs) And I'm giving myself completely to you in love. The Holy One who loves us with a perfect love and a perfect love that drives out all fear. So let's sing this one more time. Beholding the one who is utterly different and entirely perfect and whose love is complete for us this morning. Let's sing this one more time together. And the angels cry, holy, all creation cries, the holy God of Israel loves you with his whole heart and his love for you is perfect and complete and in knowing his love we can join the the angels and we can sing holy 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 is the Lord God almighty heaven and earth are full of his glory Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning as we continue in our time of worship. One of the beautiful parts about the Christian life is that we are graciously invited to participate in the divine life of God. To be a follower of Jesus means to be included in triune love and the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to participate in his life and to participate in the common life of the church, the common life of those who have been redeemed and who are called to bring forth his kingdom in the earth. One of the ways that we participate in this life together is by sharing our resources, by recognizing all we have is God's, and then cheerfully and discerningly say, okay, God, out of the abundance that you've given to me, I'm gonna take a portion and give it back to you as an act of worship and as a sign of my solidarity with this group of people, with this local church. It's these resources that provide for our common life together. So there are four ways that you can give. You can give online or the app. You can give via mail, or if you're um, here in the room, there's some boxes out in the lobby. But as we give, let's also prepare our hearts to receive 
the word of God today. Today is the last Sunday of the month and our youth pastor Brock uh, has called all of our students into a time of serving on the final Sunday of every month. So we have some of our middle school and high school students, all high school students today, uh, reading the scripture for us this morning. So let's take a moment and pause and ask the spirit of God to speak to us through the word of God this morning. Hello, my name is Allison. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 11, 4 through 6. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. He wasn't committed to the Lord his God with all his heart, as was his father David. Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's eyes and wasn't completely devoted to the Lord like his father David. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Brad. The New Testament reading is found in 1 John uh, 2, 15 through 17. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world and its cravings are passing away, but the person who, do, uh, who does the will of God remains forever. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Cora. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Don't chase after what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, desire his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are here, gathered by you, in your name, in your presence, with your people, to hear your word. So we ask today that you would give us ears to hear minds to understand. And most importantly, when you speak to us, would you cause our hearts to burn? Would you revive us? Would you bring life back to us? Would you speak to us in such a way that we are formed, transformed, conformed into the image of Jesus? That our lives might reflect more and more the goodness of God. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, you saw Cora's here today. And we're so grateful. Uh, she met with her surgeon this uh, last week and got sort of the, hey, we'll hopefully never see you again uh, conversation. And we said to the surgeon, us too, uh, we hope to never see you again um, either. So we're really, really grateful um, today as she continues to recover from uh, this past summer. 
Um, all of us have longings that we live with. We live with longings. We are a longing people, a longing species, if you will. Some of those uh, are immediate longings that we can even fulfill almost in a moment, albeit maybe just temporarily so. I would imagine for many of you, this morning started the same way that mine did, where the alarm went off and I went, ugh. (laughs) But then there was a moment of, you know, sort of actually, you know, coaxing my feet out of the bed and I began to think about that first cup of coffee. (laughs) and the warmth and the smell and this, you know, like the eventual energy that was going to come from that moment, the longing grew and I could go downstairs and I could put the pot on and in just a few minutes, that warm cup of coffee would be in my hand. Some of you are heading out to the lobby right now for your second (laughs) or third cup. Some of you may be like, you know, what I'm really longing for right now is for the service to be over so I can go put on my cozy pants um, and eat some wings and watch the game and just spend the rest of the afternoon um, in a place of utter relaxation. But then there are those other desires, the deeper desires, the things that really are the, the true sort of longings of our hearts the longing or the need for identity to answer the question, who am I? The longing, the need for community. Whose am I? And who's, who am I with? And who's with me? And where do I find belonging in this world? That longing or desire for security, to have safety and stability and even some certainty or hope about the present and the future. That longing desire we have for significance, to make a contribution to the world, to do something that matters, to be someone who matters to other people. And maybe underneath all of that or as a result of that, the desire we have for contentment, to feel a sense of joy or peace, or just that word, happy, a word that so many times parents use with their kids. I just want them to be happy. It's this longing that we have to experience that in this world. And oftentimes we're in the middle of those longings. Sometimes they're conscious, sometimes they're unconscious, but oftentimes they come out for us even in our language. When we say things like, you know, my life will be full. When? My, my life would just be complete if this. I, I, would, I would find what it is that I'm looking for if this just happened. If, if only this. How would you answer that question this morning? If only. If I could. If this. When? Then my life would be full. Then my life would be complete. Then my life would be fulfilled. Then I would have meaning and significance and identity and community and all the things that I'm really looking for inside. I would have it if only. We're in our series this fall called Kings and Kingdoms where we're reading through the book of First Kings together. The first half of First Kings is focused on Israel's third king. Its first king was a guy named Saul. <coughs> 
so sorry. Uh, second King, David, and now David's son, Solomon, is who the first half of the book is focused on. Last week, I mentioned that Solomon's really celebrated, even around the world and across religions, uh, for two things. I said the, uh, for his wisdom and for the temple. I should have said three. He's celebrated for wisdom, for the construction of the temple, and just for his unparalleled success. That when people look at Solomon's life through a particular lens, they can look at Solomon's life and be like, man, that guy, look at all that he did. Look at all that he accomplished. Look at all that he achieved in his life. And we get a litany of those things in chapters 9, 10, and 11. For three chapters, we're getting this long list of, and Solomon did this, and Solomon did this, and Solomon was like this. We find that Solomon was a builder, and not just building businesses or brands or platforms or portfolios. He's undergoing massive national projects. He builds the temple. He builds his palace in Jerusalem. He builds other palaces, palaces made entirely of gold. He builds cities. He walls in other cities. He even builds a fleet of ships. This coming from a guy who's leading a group of people who are terrified of the water. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I need an armada. That's what I need next. I need my own navy to bring things in. First Kings 9, 17 and through 19 puts it this way. It says, Solomon built, and then skip ahead. It says, whatever he wanted to build. He built whatever he wanted to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon, and actually just throughout his kingdom. He built whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted, however he wanted to build it. If you could build whatever you wanted, what would it be? What would you want to build? I often think in this conversation, I would just want to build a house with one more bedroom so that the kids all had their own space to go to. And then I think about that a little bit longer. It's like, but I would also like my own space. You know, a space where there was never, you know, tissues or dishes or things that I didn't bring into the room and forgot to take out of the room. Uh, my office and every other space in my world includes the inclusion of other people into that space with all of their stuff that seems to get left behind. No matter how many times I ask, I just would want to build that space. What would you build? And if you could build it, if you could build that space, if you could, if you could build whatever it is that you would, you would want to build, how would your life be different? What would be different about your life if you could build that thing? And would you be fulfilled? Would I? Would that be the thing, like, if I could just build it, then everything, if only I could build that, then, then I'd have everything that I need. Then my life would be exactly as I want it to be. Then I would find the fulfillment, the contentment 
that I'm looking for. Solomon wasn't just a builder, he was an influencer and a trader. He had this international renown and through his international renown, he built this global network. We find him interacting with the Egyptians and the Hittites and the Arameans. There's even this incredible story about the queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon. She was probably the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, modern day Yemen. She hears about Solomon's kingdom. She hears about his reign and his rule and everything that he's created. And she comes on this, you know, diplomatic visit into his kingdom. And at one point in the text, so she's looking at all of this, she's experiencing, she sees the, the, the beauty and the majesty. She's sitting at his table and, and, and tasting the elegance of his food. She sees all that he's created around him. And the text says, it took her breath away. She's like, oh my goodness, look at this. And so she pays him tribute. <laughs> She's like, I don't know what else to do but to just give you more stuff. And she gives him gold and stones and spice. At one point it says this in 1 Kings 10, never again had so much spice come into Israel <laughs> except when the queen of Sheba gave this gift to King Solomon. Like, I don't know what the big deal about spice. This feels like Dune. You know, it's like this, this spice must be more than I realize. But then I walk into Savory Spice downtown here and I go, oh, maybe this, like the smells and all of the aromas. But never again had there been so much spice in all of Israel. He also interacts with the king of Tyre and Phoenicia on the coast of modern-day Lebanon, who provide, this king provided all the wood for the temple, and they continued to import wood for all of Solomon's building projects. First King 10, 12 says, to this day, that much almig wood hasn't come into or been seen in Israel. There's a debate about which kind of wood this is, but just imagine whatever your favorite kind of wood is. And there is just never been that much of it as there is right now. If you could have the most of something, what would it be? If you could have the most of something, a never-ending supply, your own never-ending gobstopper, like your own, like this thing never runs out. Is it an unending supply of travel miles, of concert tickets, of cars or trucks? Maybe it's watches. For Pastor Ken, it's kicks. Like, there's just like a number of Jordans of just every kind and every color just to have all of them. When I was a kid, it was baseball cards. Uh, if I could just have every single one of them. Just have this, you know, this enormous collection now, you know, my current state of life, it's, you know, an unending supply of gas or groceries. It's, my life has changed so drastically with prices the way they are. Just like, could I just fill up my tank for less than $60? I mean, that would be an unending supply of free coupons at Come and Go or wherever else. If you have an unending supply of something, what would it be? How would your life be different? If you had an unending supply of that thing, would you be fulfilled? Would I? Would we have that moment? It's like, now that I have all of this, now that I've collected all of my favorite things, now that I have an unending supply, now it's all good. 
I finally have it. My life is where I want it to be. Solomon was also a billionaire. He received an annual income of 666. Pay attention to that number. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's a good thing, Solomon, that you have 666. Uh, Kikars of gold, or sometimes it'll say talents, not including, that was just his base salary. And then he gets his bonuses, you know, like um, health insurance presidents and, you know, those people. It's like not including the income from traders and merchants and the prophets and the Arabian kings and all the officials of the land. It's always dangerous to try to think through, okay, what would be the equivalent of that in today's income? There's always like, ah, we're not sure. But second temple period, so a little bit after Solomon, a talent or a kakar would have been a 75-pound disc of gold. 666 of those every year. If that math works, that's over a billion dollars a year in annual income. It's unlike any other kingdom. The passages say things like, even the drinking cups in the palace were made of gold. Later on, it makes comments. It says, silver wasn't good enough for Solomon. It's like, I only do gold. (laughs) I don't do silver. I don't do bronze. Gold is all I can have here. It says at one point, they made silver as common as stones in the kingdom. Ah, It was like a rock or a pebble to him. His wealth exceeded all the kings of the earth. He was Elon Musk a few thousand years ago. Can you imagine having a billion dollars? One billion (laughs) dollars. What would you do with that? What would you do with a a billion dollars? I was thinking, it was like, that was my first thought. I was like, I'd buy a building for New Life Downtown. That's the, that's the first thing I would do. <laughs> then I'd set aside money for colleges and weddings with three daughters. I was like, oh. And then I would put on that third bedroom, like for the, <laughs> for the kids. I'm not sure what I would do after that. If you had a billion dollars, what would you do? How would your life be different? And at that point, would you say, you know, if, if I only had a billion dollars, then, then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be at peace. Then I would have contentment. Then, and that, that's, that's when, if only would you be fulfilled, would I? Solomon also developed a military superpower. Solomon acquired more and more chariots and horses until he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. That's a lot back then. And then he's importing and exporting military equipment. He's not only a military superpower, he's apparently an arms dealer. So, you know, selling things back and forth to others. But this passage indicates that he had immense amount of power and control. We may not want to lead an army, but how many times do we think about being in charge? How many times do we think about being in control? What what would you want to be in charge of? What would you say like, you know, if, if only... I could be in charge of this. If only I could be the one that got to make that decision. What would you do differently in that situation? Maybe you're thinking about something at work. Maybe you're thinking about something in the public sector. Maybe you're thinking about something in government or in the world. If you could be in control of something, what would you do differently? 
I think I would want to be in charge of scheduling at medical offices uh, just to try to like take the wait time from an hour and 15 minutes down to five. I don't think it has to be that hard. Uh, I think I could do that and I would just feel better uh, about myself and the world. I feel like I made a contribution. Anything that's disorganized or chaotic, I wanna fix it. But if you were ridiculously in charge, how would your life be different? If you were in charge of that thing that came to your mind, would you then say, if only, if only I could fix this, if only I was in charge of this, if only I was in control of this, then would you be fulfilled? Would I? Solomon goes, the text goes on and says, Solomon is also ex extremely promiscuous. He had 700 royal wives and 300 secondary wives, 300 concubines. In other words, Solomon didn't deny himself any relationship and he didn't deny himself any pleasure. This is more than any other person in the Old Testament. This is extreme. A thousand relationships. A thousand? You gotta be kidding me. And yet maybe in our digital world of illicit videos and images and hookup apps, maybe that's not as outrageous as we think it is in our world of impersonal relationships like this. He didn't deny himself anything. If we take that outside of the illicit context, take it outside of that, and we, and, and we would just ask ourselves, what are we longing for? What are we longing for out of relationships or experiences or what joys are we after in this world? And we think, if only I had this relationship in my life. If only I was married. If only, fill in the blank, if only this, if only that, then everything would, would come together. If every, everything would be fine, if, if only this person in my life would change. If only if, if, if that person was different, if this relationship was different, if this relationship was gone, or maybe if I, if I just had this experience or if I experienced this or, or accomplished these things, maybe if I checked off all of the, the joys on my bucket list, if I experienced all of those things, how would your life be different? And would at that point, would you say, oh, if only. And would you be fulfilled? Would I? Typically, we think, if only, if only I could, if only I would, if only I had, if only I was. And we think if we could check off those boxes, then we would find the fulfillment that we so desperately need in this world. But Solomon checked off every single one of them. He checked off every box. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is historically attributed to him, some scholars debate that, but let's say it's him. Here's his self-assessment of his life. Ecclesiastes chapter two, I took on great projects. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I became greater than all who preceded me. I refrained from nothing, not a single desire of my eye. I refused my heart no pleasure. He sounds like First John here. I loved the world and I loved the things of the world and all of its possessions and all of my cravings were fulfilled in Ecclesiastes 2.11. But when I surveyed it all, all that my hands had done and all that I had worked so hard to achieve, I realized that it was 
pointless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing is to be gained under the sun. So it's vanity, it's vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. Solomon is saying, I was chasing what I could never catch. And when I got what I thought I wanted, I was left wanting. When I got everything that my heart desired, I found that I was empty, that I was not fulfilled. Nothing could provide what it promised. I was left chasing the wind. Can you relate? It's like you went after something, gave everything, went after it, and then got it. And then it just seemed to dissipate or it couldn't fulfill or provide what you hoped it would. What are we chasing that we cannot catch? What are we going after that cannot fulfill? It cannot fulfill the thing that we're looking for. Here's 1 Kings' assessment of Solomon's life. 1 Kings says it this way, 1 Kings eleven six. Solomon did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and wasn't completely devoted to the Lord like his father David. He did what was evil. All of this, like all these accolades and the scriptures end and say, and all that he did, here's our assessment of it. It was evil. It violated God's instructions it violated God's expectations for him, particularly those in Deuteronomy 17 that we talked about a few weeks ago. It says, Israel's kings must not trust in weapons and wives and wealth. And what did he go after? All of those things. And elsewhere it says he must, trust, must not trust in other nations or worship other gods. And what did he do? He put his trust in other nations and he worshiped other gods. And it says here he wasn't completely devoted to Yahweh. What's interesting is the original language doesn't say that. The original language says he was not filled after God. He was not filled after Yahweh. He looked everywhere else to be filled. He looked everywhere else to be satisfied. He looked everywhere else to find identity and community and security and significance and contentment and joy. He looked after, he went looking for it everywhere that he could find it. And his heart was not filled by going after Yahweh. Instead, he was chasing the wind. He was chasing the wind. Now, to be honest, every time I say chasing the wind, the Lightning Crashes song from Live starts playing in my head. Some of you remember that 1998 song, like Lightning Crashes. But it's the same idea. Just going after something and not being able to catch it. Jesus says, stop. <laughs> he says, stop chasing. Stop letting all of our anxieties about these things drive us to go looking for them in places that we cannot find them. He says, instead, Luke 12, instead desire his kingdom and these things, all these things will be given to you as well. Other passages say, seek first the kingdom of God. Other translations say, strive after. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way. He says, steep yourself in God reality. Steep yourself in God initiative. Steep yourself 
and God provisions, and you'll find everything that you're looking for. Friends, we will only find fulfillment in following Jesus. It's the only place we'll find it, is in following him. And I know as soon as I say something like that, there's a resistance that rises up in us. There's a resistance that rises up in me. We're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? Because I've been following Jesus for a long time and it doesn't work like that. It hasn't worked like that. I've been following Jesus for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, Jason, and I still find that there are longings that are unfulfilled inside of me. What do you mean by that? I think sometimes when we hear something like that, that we'll only find fulfillment in following Jesus, we begin to think that following Jesus is the same thing as following after those other things. And we say, well, if I follow out those other things, then maybe what they're, they're going, those are, there's gonna be an, an easiness to that. But following Jesus ain't easy. <laughs> following Jesus ain't easy. He says, deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me. <laughs> Jesus says things, if you wanna find your life, lose it. Jesus' followers, his initial followers were killed for following him. Followers of Jesus all around the world today follow him under threat of life. There are still people killed today because they follow Jesus and for no other reason than that. What do you mean my life's gonna be fulfilled by following Jesus? Following Jesus isn't easy. It runs completely counter to our human instinct and to all of our cultural mantras. It runs counter to if it feels good, do it. It runs counter to if it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt others, then do it. It runs counter to be yourself, follow your heart, you do you, boo. It runs counter to all of that. It runs counter to you can have whatever you like. It runs counter to all of it. It runs counter to live your truth. It runs counter to that. That's not what following Jesus is. Deuteronomy 17 says the king shouldn't trust in weapons and wives and wealth, but instead should read the Bible, study the scriptures, learn to revere God and keep all of the instructions by doing them. Jesus says the same things. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's impossible. It is. It is on our own, but we're not on our own. The spirit of God has taken up resonance inside of us to help us to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus. But it's not easy. But we have all the resources of God living inside of us. Following Jesus ain't easy and Jesus doesn't promise instant gratification. Sometimes we, we tell people like, hey, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and everything will change. Everything will be better. If you follow Jesus, everything in your life will work out. You'll be healthy and wealthy and wise and happily married with 2.3 kids in a 2.5 car garage. Like you'll have all of it. That's not how it works. Maybe for some, maybe for a season, but we live in a fallen world with free will and evil forces. So in this world, we will have trouble, but our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the world to come. The fulfillment that Jesus talks about is found at the end of a faithful life. It's not found in an instantaneous moment. It's found at the end of a faithful life. At one point, Solomon's heart was with God, 
But as his life went on, his heart was turned away. He began to look to be fulfilled in other things and in other ways. And he never turned back. Notice I said fulfillment is found at the end of a faithful life. It's not found at the end of a perfect life. It's found at the end of a faithful life. And one of the most faithful things that we do is to recognize every week, oh, you know what I've been doing this week? I've been chasing the wind. I've been going after things that can never fulfill me. And so we come back every Sunday and we come to the table and we say a prayer of repentance and we say, you know what, God? We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not been fulfilled in following after you because instead we've been following after all of these other things and we come back to you. We faithfully continue to come back. Sometimes that's the most faithful thing that I do is repent. (laughs) It's where my most faithful moment is found. Like, oh yeah, I really messed that up again. (laughs) And my faithfulness is just continuing to come back to the faithful one. But over the course of time, what we find in following Jesus is that he makes us faithful. And what he promises to us is at the end of a faithful life, he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, come in to my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of my righteousness and all of these things will be added onto you. You'll find them all, but you'll find them only in me and you'll find them only in the world to come. Fulfillment is found at the end of a faithful life, but even beyond that, fulfillment is found only in the faithful life of Jesus. It's not found in our faithful life. It's found in his And so when we come to the table, I want to invite Sarah and the worship team to come forward. What we're doing every single week here at the table is we're coming back and saying, I've been chasing the wind yet again, but I want to chase after you. I want to chase you, Jesus. And so I'm coming back here to the table to confess my sin and to say, I want you. What I really desire is you. And I know that all the things that I'm longing for can only be found in you. So in your faithfulness, would you help me to be faithful? Would you be faithful to forgive me? And would you be faithful to fill me and help me to follow you? Maybe today you're sitting here and saying, you know, it's been a long time since I've said I want to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never followed Jesus before. And he said, I don't know. I've been chasing the wind and nothing's working out. And the reason you're here is because it's all left you empty. I wanna invite you here to the table today to say, I'm tired of chasing the wind. I want to chase after the one who's been chasing me his whole life. I wanna chase after God because I believe he's coming after me. And so we wanna invite you to pray this prayer with us today, to confess your sin, to put your trust in Jesus, to give up on the wind and just to say, Jesus, I'm coming after you. And then to find that Jesus has been coming after you. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've been thinking about giving up. I just want to encourage you, come back to the table. Come back to the table. Come back to him, the faithful one. Maybe you're dealing with a lot of guilt and shame and the things that you've been chasing and you need some freedom today, come back to the table. Come back to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come back to the table. Let's stop chasing the wind. And let's come to the table. This morning, all are invited who want to trust Jesus this morning.
Let's pray the words of confession together. They're going to be on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news to us. Words that are true, not because I or anyone else would say them, but because of what God has done for us. So would you open up your hands like we do every week, a sign that we are open to receiving the mercy of God over and over and over again. Friends, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, and that's what proves the love of God toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, please stand, take a minute to greet those around you, share the peace of Christ with one another. As we come back together, the words to our liturgy are going to be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good. It's a joyful thing for us to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. You breathed into us the breath of life. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was going to be handed over to suffering, the night that he was going to die, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he offered it to them. He said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. 
And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim this mystery of our faith together, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance. Jesus asked us to remember him. It's also a place of encounter, of encountering the living God. Let's sing this prayer together this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to meet us with God's presence this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. I want to invite the servers to come forward. And I want to remind you, friends, that these are the gifts of God. They are given for us, the people of God. So receive them remembering that Jesus loves you, that the mercy of God has been extended to you, poured out to you, not just parsed, but poured out to you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, you haven't received communion here in a while, you can scan the QR code for instructions and just watch what everyone else is doing. If you're unable to come forward, please ask someone around you to bring elements back to you. Let's come forward now and continue worshiping together at the table. Father. Uh-huh.
Praise God.
Uh, with all that was going on in our family this summer, I missed a lot of Sundays. And even though I was tuning in online most times, and I definitely got a new experience and can empathize with those who are tuning online, one of the things that I recognized was happening in my own heart is that I just felt disconnected. It felt like a relationship with God was really just about me and whatever my circum circumstance was. Was it going well? Then things with God are going well. If it's not going well, then I feel this isolation setting in. One of the beautiful things about the privilege, and it is a privilege of joining together in person, is that we are strengthened not only in our own bodies, but we are strengthened as the church. We are reminded by hearing the voices of each other, by hearing the cries of each other, that we are part of Christ's church, not just in this city, but throughout the world, throughout generations. So I pray a blessing on each of you here and for those that are tuning in online. We love you. You are a part of Christ's church. I pray that you would